In this episode, I got to talk with the one, the only, the CEO of StrangeWorks, Worley. We talked about the challenges involved with humanizing quantum computing, what that means and how soon it can happen, and take it away, me from the past. Okay, so I have with me Worley, who is the CEO of StrangeWorks, Inc. Worley, thanks for coming on the uh, Quantum Computing Now podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Ethan. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So uh, I'm sure most people listening to this know at least some of your exploits, uh, but could you give us a bit of your background, uh, how you got into quantum computing? Oh, man. So I, I, I mean, yeah. Uh, look, I, I'm a serial entrepreneur, a uh, software-focused uh, guy, and I have a great team of people that we've done a bunch of startups. And we did our first company, uh, it was in the mobile space, that was acquired by Accenture, uh, and that was pretty awesome. And we spun a company out of that that was acquired by Zynga, um, which was also pretty awesome. Uh, and then we started a company called Honest Dollar, which is our company before StrangeWorks, in March of 2015. And in March of 2016, it was acquired by Goldman Sachs. It was the first startup that they'd acquired in their 147-year history. And we all spent some time at Goldman. And while we were there, tried to figure out, well, what do we want to do in our next company? Because we didn't want to do something that we sold. We wanted to do something that we were going to build, grow, really have a positive impact on the world, really affect you know millions, if not billions of people. And so the joke was the first company was for fun and profit, right? It's all models and models. The second company was to try to be that hero entrepreneur that changes the world. And, and you find out really quick that that's kind of a myth, right? Uh, so I always tell people, uh, entrepreneur, more magazine, fast company, these things, they're like romance novels for startup nerds. And so we basically um, had looked at three, I had looked at three areas for a period of about three to six years prior to starting StrangeWorks. Those were obviously something in biohacking. I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, something in robotics. And then finally, something in quantum computing. And so we did an analysis of the market. Like, was the timing right? Were we still going to be way too early? Is it really 20 years out or is it two? And kind of put together something and said, look, if we want to build a company that we can all work at for 20, 30 years, really have a long-term commitment to, quantum's going to be the right space. I mean, in robotics, you had things like Boston Dynamic being bought and then sold and then bought again and a lot of stuff happening there. I don't think that that market was quite there for, for that yet. Uh, and biohacking definitely wasn't there. And quantum seemed, uh, you know, to be part of this kind of larger area of exotic computing, which we've been playing around in anyway. We thought this is a really, really good uh, play for us. And, um, you know, it's there's a level of difficulty to it. There's an opportunity, you know, you heard Honeywell's CEO say it's a trillions of, of dollars in opportunity. Um, but for us, it was more about empowering a lot of people and that's how we got to the whole humanizing quantum uh, kind of mission statement, if you will. Hmm. It's interesting. You say that robotics was, I don't know, less right than quantum computing. Uh, why, why was that? Most people think like robotics has been around since forever. Everyone like, I don't know, it's, it's easier. You know what you're doing. Well, why? Well, look, quantum, yeah. quantum mechanics have been around since at least 1927, right? Mm. At the Solvay Conference. So, I mean, you know, look, uh, robotics appears to be a more developed industry than quantum. A hundred percent, undeniable. However, if you pull back the cover and you look at like 
the sale of robots and MasterBot, and you start really digging into it, um, you know, it's it's not a, it, it's it it will take it will have as big or bigger impact in quantum, but that impact will take uh, place over a much longer time scale. Whereas in quantum, we're going to go through all the struggles we're in now, right? Everybody hears the same questions. Oh, when's it going to arrive? Oh, is it actually real? You know, all of these things. We're going to go through that. But the thing is, is once we hit that moment where, you know, IBM's calling it quantum advantage, right? Forget superiority or advantage or any of those terms, really. Once we get a point where it's like, this is a computational endpoint that's useful to a mass set of developers in the following problem spaces. I think you had an inflection point where the financial opportunity, the uh, opportunities in the areas I care about, you know, especially the environment, drug discovery, things like that, they're going to have a much more impact, uh, you know, uh, in a much faster uh, pace and a much shorter timeline. So again, we want something to do for 30 years. I think if we started in robotics, we we're looking at 10 to, and I've invested in a couple of robotics companies, so I'm pretty familiar with the space, but I've, I've kind of figured that's a that's a 10 to 15 year march before we we even really have anything kind of going on exciting. Whereas uh, our approach to the market with quantum computing is to try to lower the barriers to entry across the board. So price, uh, skill, et cetera. Uh, there's a lot of challenges there and there's a ton of people that are excited about it today. It just made a lot more sense to me. And I'm curious, do you remember the, the first time you heard about quantum computing? Was it when you were researching for to see which field you were going to go into, or when was it? No, it was, it was in 1998 while I was working for IBM. <laughs> so it, had, it was completely irrelevant to my current job or position <laughs> or anything. Um, but I heard about it in the uh, Haifa Research Labs in Israel. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know... Didn't even think about it twice at the time, to be completely honest. Uh, it was only years later, probably around 2012, 2013, uh, working on some projects um, with some uh, some government agencies that I started kind of hearing about it and started following it and paying a lot closer attention to it. Yeah, fair enough. And you, you touched on this a little bit with the, uh, you mentioned humanizing quantum computing. Uh, what What does that mean? Maybe expound on that a little bit more. Yeah, look, the thing is, if you think about the development of the economy and society, and you look at like the industrial age, and I know a lot of quantum companies have stuff like this in their slides, right? But I think they should. I think it's a really good point. But you look at it, uh, you have the industrial age and kind of the information age. I see us entering probably one of the greatest times to be alive in history where all of this really deep tech and, and very heavy science and physics from, from kind of quantum mechanics starts interacting in the world. So that could be everything from quantum communications, could be satellite uh, encryption, it could be networks, it could be a quantum internet, which we all hear too much about. It's probably that, that one's probably still farther away than, than computing. Then you talk about things like quantum sensors. So what about sensors for the environment or uh, really measuring sensors for semiconductors, right? There's so many great things you can do with quantum mechanics in the sensing area. And then, of course, there's computing. And so I'd like to be involved in all of those things, right? But the thing that makes it hard is I feel that quantum computing will advance faster the more people we can get involved in it. Mm -hmm. And so to get 
a larger group of people involved in it. We have to lower the barrier to entry. We have to kind of Carl Sagan this stuff, right? We have to take like some crazy concept and make it sound kind of like in some analogy where people say, okay, I get it. I can do it. Um, eventually, there'll be tons of abstraction layers between the hardware, which will be commoditized, and the people developing it or using it. Because eventually, you're going to have people doing things like uploading Excel spreadsheets to a website that looks through for computational complexity, says, oh, yeah, this could be used, uh, use a quantum for this part, or maybe it's all classical, or maybe it's a mix, you know, some kind of variable, you know, VQE or whatever. Th these things can, can, can happen, right? But at the heart of the adoption of quantum, the advancement of quantum is how many people, Ethan, do you think matter in quantum worldwide today? It's July 1st. 2021, give me a number. How many people do you think matter in quantum? Oh, man. Uh, it's got to be in... Less than 100? More, I would say more than 100. It's triple digits, less than 1,000 for sure. All right. So I would say it's under 200 easily. Mm -hmm. All right. That, that matter. Now, let's take that a step further. How many people even anywhere in the world are even aware of quantum is it ten thousand, or is it less i i think it is i i think it's ten thousand or more aware of in the sense of like have heard the words quantum computing before but don't understand it at any sort of level fair enough fair enough and i would agree with that so now you take that and you say okay so this technology that we're all i mean you're a cs student you're working at a quantum company I've started one. We're all of us involved in it. We're very excited about getting this into as many hands as possible, right? Like think about the drug discovery and fixing the environment and new ways of doing finance and new material science. There's all of these usage. How are we going to do that if we're in the early days of computing? Meaning that when computing first started, right? We're on this whole von Neumann architecture kick. We have this whole approach to how we're doing computer science. What happened? In the early days, you had to be an electrical engineer to understand the flow of electricity between the gates, meaning you had to be an electrical engineer to program a computer at all. If you didn't, weren't an electrical engineer, you probably couldn't program one, right? Then, between that, then and now, hmm. you can go to any one of these code camps. You can, you know, you try to build a website, you go to a Wix or something, right? All these abstraction layers around it. And what's happened because of that? Because of that, you have the internet and the advancement in autonomous vehicles and, and drones and all of these things that come out of what may seem like disconnected technical you know, advances. Quantum will be the biggest advance in computing that we've seen in the last 100 years. And it will for sure be that in the next 10. There's no way around it. I think in less than five. And so where are we at right now? We're in a position where you have to be a physicist to program one of these machines because you have to understand the fundamental physics on which they're based. We aren't coming into this as like, we want to take that away from physicists and give it to hackers everywhere around the world, <laughs> but we do want to come in and humanize it, meaning one, get people out that, that first category we talked about, people in quantum, that 200 or less or less than a thousand, as you put it, let's get all of them to be evangelists for this to everyone they talk to. Cause we're not okay. Like we're not, we're, it's very hard. We're very busy. Everybody's trying to run a company. We're not doing enough to get normal people 
uh, aware of the change. We're not briefing enough people in governments around the world. We're not having enough conversations with executives at at, uh, at enterprises. And so let's get let's get the people in our community evangelizing why this community and why this technology is so important a lot more. Now, the second group, all of the developers, Apple has roughly, uh, you know, almost 30 million developers at this point in their ecosystem. Um, if we had a million qubit machine today and we dropped it in the middle of Tokyo or London or New York or San Francisco, would you program it even? I mean, I couldn't. Would, could anybody? I mean, think about the way we program the machines now and think about a million qubit machine and you're gonna do a problem that's gonna use the majority of those qubits, right? There's so much of a disconnect between how fast this technology is going to arrive and how prepared the developers, the customers, society in general is for it. And so we wanna demystify quantum computing and that's really what we're saying when we say humanize it. We're just making something where you can explain it to anybody on the street, that's going to be a good day when it's that, when we can put it in that simple of terms. Where you can get a developer community that has a few hundred thousand, a few million developers, that's going to be an amazing day because the hardware is being developed in a vacuum. And I understand physicists can program software. Right, you're a CS major, so I can talk a little bit more openly to you. But you, you know what I'm talking about, right? We know. But I wrote. Listen, I wrote quantum computing for babies. One of the best-selling books in quantum computing. It literally has like 45 words in it. That does not make me Einstein or Schrodinger or Irving or anybody. Okay. So in physics, you download a Python library from GitHub. I don't think that makes you a software developer, right? So we need to have these two communities come together with this goal and this vision of making sure that everyone can understand quantum, that they have access to it, you know, if needed, right? That we're lowering barriers to entry from price and technical capabilities, et cetera. Because I believe that quantum computing is one of a couple of key pillars in us really changing the world that we live in. I mean, curing diseases, having material science that takes us to Mars and beyond, you know, fixing the environment, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so to do that, you need a bigger group, you need a bigger community, you need a lot of people involved in an industry. And to do that, you need to have it where people can understand what you're talking about. And there needs to be a, a lot more focus. Like I said, and, you know, there needs to be a Carl Sagan of quantum. I do not want to be that person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know who out of our whole, I don't know who that could be. I'm, I'm sure people will hear this and shoot me mails or, or tweets and tell me who they think. And that person should be uh, greatly rewarded and, and greatly praised. But we need this because there's so many parts uh, to this industry. There's the cryogenics in some of the machines. There's the uh, lasers, control systems, pulse controls, the physics of it, the computer science of it, the, 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 just the electric, electric. We haven't even talked about quantum data centers. What could that may or maybe not look like? Is it, do we need to have something that's shielded more? If you put two of the machines closer together, you know, your, your, your environmental interferences, how does it affect? There's so many things that we just don't know. Because right now, even, we don't have quantum computers. We have really sophisticated, extremely good, extremely valuable equipment for exploring the quantum landscape. But you're a CS major. 
And if you told me you think these things are a computer, I would tell you you're fully Schrodinger. Because we both know that as, as a CS major, you expect to do what? You expect to have a problem, you have a calculation, you sit at the machine, you can get an answer, and the answer is consistent, mm. right? Right? It's yeah. demonstrable. It's something that's, that's infallible, right? We're like, this is it. And, and in the quantum world, we get a lot more crazy calculations and math, but we also get a lot more confusion on the, on the, on the side of software developers. And, and it won't be physicists or me here at StrangeWorks or anybody that really makes quantum take off in advance. It will 100% be millions of software developers around the world. Probably there's a 13-year-old girl right now uh, hacking around on websites that in five years could be one of the top quantum developers of the world. We don't know, right? And I think that these layers of abstraction will take the need for physics out. Uh, but there's a big gap between doing that and then just like, yay, there's millions of people using it. I mean, a huge gap. And, and I think that's kind of the, the dirty secret in, in quantum that we don't talk about is there's no real, there's not a market right now, right? We're looking at it like it's market transformation. We're moving from, you know, classical compute to quantum, but it's not. It's market creation because it's a new plane. Think about it this way. Used to cross the United States, right? And it took weeks, sometimes months. And when you did that crossing, mm -hmm. sometimes people died. You got attacked by, uh, you know, robbers, whatever on the road. Then we invented the train, <laughs> and that same trip took a week, right? But no matter how far you go, eventually you reach an ocean of complexity, right? And so quantum computing—that's like a plane or maybe a spaceship, right? But we have plenty of planes. Do we get rid of trains worldwide? No, they form a more autopoetic transportation system, right? And they are also completely different modes of transportation used many times for completely different purposes, right? Like if you've ever seen one of these big trains hauling freight, like you'd never get all of that on, on a thousand planes, right? So we need all these different forms of, of computing but just like we need these different forms of computing, we need different types of people, diversity and inclusion in quantum uh, to really drive it forward. I mean, imagine how useful it would be to hardware companies if there was a community out there of a million developers uh, and they were all looking at quantum at just once a month and they were giving feedback, hey, the machine doesn't do this or what about that or why isn't it this? Like that's the kind of feedback you need to build not just these machines, but more importantly, to build an industry. Yeah, and maybe, it, I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but it sounds like there are sort of two pillars that other people talk about for that go into this humanizing quantum computing uh, concept. And the first one being simplifying uh, slash evangelizing, and the other one being democratizing. Does that sound about right? You know, yeah. Um, I mean... <sighs> Well, yes, it does sound right. <laughs> I mean, we look, we, we came out in 2018, we did this South by Southwest keynote, we launched a company and, and we, we said, look, we want to democratize this. And, and then it seems like, you know, and I'm not trying to say we were the only ones who created that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying in new industries and startups, you see 
terms get thrown out and you see people glom onto them mm -hmm. and they can often go really far astray. Like for example, I believe, even though we used this in the past and, and, and so we still use it, uh, the term platform in this industry is completely misused. Some people have a, say they have a platform, they really have an SDK, yeah. <laughs> right? Some people say they have a platform, it's really an API. Some people, you know, like uh, there's a difference between a, an application programming interface and a software development kit. And, and by the way, neither of those are platforms. They're components of a platform, right? Like, you know what I mean? You can use those things and build something. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, I love seeing the democratization uh, spread. I love seeing people wanting to lower barriers of entry. Um, I think that's great. But I think we, we also need... Um, I'm really worried about the hype and about the misuse of things that in our world, you as a computer science major, me as a person that, you know, kind of an idiot that found himself in this industry for the last 30 years <laughs> that we use that kind of get, um, maybe they're, you know, I don't want to say misinterpreted. That's not necessarily it, but you know, there's a, you know, you, you know, people say platform all the time as an example that's great. But if I said Bajoran, right, and I, and I didn't use it properly, every physicist in the world would correct me instantly, right? <laughs> and, and I think we need to do a better job of kind of standardizing some things. And by the way, we're working on that. So, you know, I'm chairing the Quantum Computer Standing Court Standards Working Group of the IEEE. We're about to, very close to releasing the first standard. And the thing we decided to standardize first is nomenclature so that we would all, because you say qubit, but is it a physical qubit or is it a logical qubit? Is it topological? Is it ion trap? You know, there's so many different ways to make a qubit, right? And so, you know, you, you go and you read the press and it says, new machine does billion qubits or CEO promises a trillion qubits. But, but people in the world don't know what that means, mm. right? They just, they just heard that, okay? Yeah. They do not understand at all, you know, what that is as a qubit. And, and by the way, they don't need to, right? I mean, do you understand how the transistors that, you know, I don't know if your iPhone, Android guy or whatever, but your new iPhone has like, what, 3 billion transistors in it? Like, how, how low level do you want to go in that knowledge, right? I mean, you're a young guy in college, you want to flip through Tinder. If it works for that, you're good, right? Mm -hmm. Just tease Ethan. <laughs> but on a serious note, I, I think that, you know, when you talk about humanizing or, um, uh, you know, doing all, it's a great thing that, that a bunch of people are saying this, and I, I'd love to have a million more people saying it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And I guess my question is, I guess from where I'm sitting, sometimes it feels like it. This uh, trying to get people to understand what's going on with quantum is it? It's an uphill battle, almost Sisyphean. And is it even possible to humanize quantum computing without giving? At false impressions and uh, propagating myths about how, you know, qubits are zero and one at the same time and therefore solve all the problems simultaneously. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm using, when I go teach uh, kids, I'm using a soccer ball, right? Trying to explain a block sphere. And you can be like, look, it's not that it's one and zero at the same time. It's in a probability of one of these things. And, and you know, we can use this ball and kind of show you how it works, right? Pointing directly up, it's a one, pointing directly down, it's a zero. You know, here's how collapse states work, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, but yeah, you're going to have that um, oversimplification will cause for miscommunication and, and some misunderstanding of some of these things. Uh, but still, 
it's important to find a way to simplify it. You know, Einstein's credited with saying it. I actually don't think it was him, uh, but I can't find who it really was. But you know, the whole thing about like if you can't explain something simply, then you don't understand it enough, right? And and it's great all of the linear algebra and stuff we're throwing out in all of our meetings, pitch meetings, and pitching to companies and trying to evangelize quantum. But I think it'd be a lot better if we had a, a, a lot simpler way to do it. And you start there and then you let people go as deep as they want. Have you got somebody who was going to be a physics major and, and they can go into, you know, crazy details about, you know, the, the unseen, you know, quantum world. That's amazing. But that's going to be one in a million people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, I've talked to other people who, who say the same sort of almost like how there are different layers of abstraction within your your phone, right? Where you're talking about how how many transistors do you want to understand? Uh, there's you can have different layers of abstraction with the way that you explain stuff, so that that resonates for sure. Well, well yeah. Well, well, years ago there used to be a, a, a direct TV commercial. It was pretty funny. It showed all the science of satellites, right? I was like, how does direct TV work? And he turns the remote around, and he clicks it, and it just goes blank. He's like, hey, you don't care, right? You're gonna watch like <laughs> Sopranos or something, <laughs> you know? And then, and then, but that that is that is consumers. But the thing is, is that think about how technology is funded and how technology advances, right? So hmm. you start with research labs, okay? And usually this is funded by governments, all right? And things get developed, all right? Maybe maybe your Tim Berners Lee. And you're working on, uh, you know, the World Wide Web and the protocol at CERN, right? So it's government funding doesn't. Then it comes out of there. Then it starts getting private, some private industry funding, right? So maybe there's some VC funding and stuff. So now this tech is now there's a hundred startups doing it instead of ten research labs. Well, now it gets used and it's actually popular. People really like this tech. So where do you end up? Who eventually becomes the funding source of all of these things? And the and the answer is consumers. Yeah. And consumers vote with their dollars, right? And so AT&T and the big telecom companies, if they weren't selling all those, you know, internet and cable subscriptions and getting all their money, they couldn't put any money back into the business. And look, they, they, their customer service sucks and it always will. And they, you know, <laughs> South Park had a great episode on cable customer service people. But at the, at the fact is, is, you know, they do put money back in that infrastructure, uh, and, and it is something that, um, that, you know, when you get a technology that is pervasive, that's ubiquitous, uh, usually you'll find it's funded by the consumer dollars um, eventually, right? You kind of go from consumer, you know, from consumer to venture to private equity uh, in the public markets, and, and of course, uh, consumers vote with their dollars. So, you know, I think we should, you know, and, and, and look, people hear that and say, well, everybody, it's not a consumer product. Everybody's not going to be an enterprise in this. It's like, no, but everybody's going to be affected by it. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there's Nick Farinas uh, and uh, Ilana Willsby. They're two of a larger group of people. I forget. Sorry, everybody. I can't remember everybody's name right now. But they're working on uh, quantum computing ethics, just like AI ethics, right? Yeah. And so, you know, if we think this is important enough that it requires ethical planning when we don't even really have you know what you could call the first real kind of general purpose machine right then maybe we also should be educating people on it as well maybe that's part of that that um, 
that effort, right? Be it the be it the getting quantum people to 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 build it right is half of the problem. We still want to make sure everybody uses it right. <laughs> I just think it's important. I mean, wouldn't you? I, I have a three year old and a five year old. I, I already talk to them about quantum stuff all the time. I believe in their lifetime, this technology will become kind of like we view information technology, hmm. right? So just like you have IT, maybe one day you have QT. I don't know. But the fact is, is that this is world-changing stuff we're talking about here. The physicists that have spent the last, you know, jeez, uh, 70, 80, 90 years, uh, some institutions have been working on it. You know, IBM has this great notebook uh, from like 19 whatever that's like, here's the... The um, you know, the the first some of the first notes on quantum, and you look at something mm. like that, and you go, "Wow, this has been going on for a long time, and a lot of people have worked on this for their whole careers, and it hasn't gotten to where it should be." Now, is that a is that a function of the technology? Even I don't know. Is it a function of the um, community? I don't know, but I know the more eyes you have looking at at, at, at this industry. I believe the, the faster this industry will accelerate and the quicker people will get uh, all of the stuff they're, they're hoping to get out of their, uh, their quantum adventures, so to speak. Yeah, awesome. And okay, so we're, we're coming to the end of our time here. I've got three questions that I ask every guest at the end. First one is, what do you see as the biggest problem in quantum computing currently? Uh, the lack of uh, users. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you want me to expand on that, it's like, I, I, I don't know who's uh, using these machines, uh, but I can tell you, if there's a, I can tell you a lot of people who aren't, right? I mean, look, uh, if I had to rank the problems, that always ranks pretty high for me. But let me tell you, the hype is the biggest problem in uh, I'm not debunking any of these claims on your podcast here, but like when you come out and you say there's going to be a 5 million <laughs> qubit desktop machine in five years or, you know, I mean, look, even the Honeywell CEO, which I'm not calling them out, their partners love them, but you get on CNBC as the CEO of Honeywell and you say, oh, not billions, trillions, and oh, we're going to make a billion, like, you know, out of nowhere or whatever. Um, you can absolutely grossly uh, misstate expectations in a way that may just be you're making a visionary statement. That is your goal. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that doesn't happen, like how many promises do you know of made in the last five years that people said in three years, in five years? Because I'm actually writing my next TechCrunch quantum piece on this, which is going to be this person said this in 2018. You know, and, and by the way, I'll be one of those people too, right? Like I'll, I will, I will call myself yeah. out just as well. But I mean, you know, <laughs> that's the thing is like the hype is probably the biggest problem, um, you know, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And if people want to hear more about uh, busting some myths around hype, go ahead and uh, check out, I did an episode with John Scarrett from Microsoft and that was, that was a great one. Uh, th so the next question here is, what do you see as the, the biggest promise um, or potential big outcome in the next like five to 10 years? 
Well, I've been a big critic of AI for most of my career because um, we keep moving the goalpost, right? You know, what we used to call AI when I first started in like 1989 or whatever, now is called the super intelligence, right? Because we, like, <laughs> nope, we have AI, but what we really have is like really fancy automation. I do believe that in the next five years, um, I think this is a pretty reasonable bet. You know, Google said they'll have their 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 GPC by what 2029, right? So, you know, let's say five to ten years instead of five, and for sure, uh, I think you'll have enough of these machines out there, and that what is happening in AI uh, and QML and everything will start to merge more, that you could get close to a, a quantum superintelligence, and I think that could be extremely exciting because I don't know that you can have AI without uh, having quantum or quantum-like capabilities. Um, and especially when you're talking about like nature being quantum mechanical. I, I've gotten this argument with too many people. So, you know, <laughs> thank goodness you're, you're, you're not, you're not going to argue, but I mean, if nature is quantum mechanical and your brain's made from nature, is your brain quantum mechanical? I've talked to a number of uh, neuroscientists who say no, and I've talked to a number of scientists say absolutely. But let's just say, I think quantum uh, computing will play a large role in the development of, of artificial, true artificial intelligence, especially in the area of what, again, is now being called super intelligence. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Worley, where can people find out more about you and what you're working on, your company, all that good stuff? So um, I'm Worley everywhere on Facebook and Twitter and GitHub and everywhere, and I don't really post much, so uh, that will help. So go to strangeworks.com uh, and generally you can find out everything there. Uh, and what I'd encourage everyone to do is go to quantumcomputing.com. Um, you can sign up for free. Uh, it has all of the frameworks on there, um, a whole wealth of them. Uh, we have uh, support for, jeez, um, oh, I guess it'd be easier to say, what do we not have support for? <laughs> Because I think you can use Bracket, Blue Cat, Circ, Ocean, Forest, you know, Jupyter stuff, Microsoft's stuff, the MyQML, Project Q, Python, any Python kit, Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields, all of those things are available on the platform for free. And a couple of weeks ago, we just announced that IBM has put all of their machines, uh, their free machines, onto quantumcomputing.com and into the StrangeWorks ecosystem. So that's the only place those are available outside of IBM. And that means you can use them for free today on quantumcomputing.com. Um, so, you know, I'd tell everybody to go there. That's where I'm planning on starting a blog there and, and you know, starting to communicate a lot more. I'm just not good at the Twitter and stuff. Um, I'm too busy writing software. So, you know, Sam, I have a lot of time for the social stuff at a 15-person startup. <laughs> Well, awesome. This has been really informative, lots of fun. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Ethan. Let me know if I can help you out in the future. Okay, well, there weren't any questions or corrections from the last episodes. So if you have any, feel free to reach out to me via Minds, email, or Anchor voice message. Links for all of those, as always, are in the show notes. Okay, time for this episode's Quantum Computing Zero to Hero update. 
So I've started a thread on mines with updates, so watch that for more updates that I will put out in case you miss it in the podcast or I don't have a podcast. And a couple people have reached out saying that they're having issues torrenting the curriculum. Two things on that. First, if you're new to torrenting, um, it's good etiquette not to be a leecher, which is someone who just downloads the file and then shuts off the torrent software so that it doesn't seed to other people. That's how torrenting works. The more people that download it, the more people can download it and downloads faster. So um, leave your torrent seeding. Uh, that makes it easier for everyone else to download it. Second, if you're having issues, sometimes that happens just because a weird glitch happens in the torrent software. It happens to me all the time. Um, what I recommend is try restarting the torrent. Um, sometimes you have to completely remove it from the torrent list and then re-add it for it to start working. Um, but try that, see if that works. If you'd like to support me so I can make more and better episodes, please support me on Anchor. There's a link to that in the show notes. Or send me some crypto. I've got addresses in the show notes for that as well. Shout out to the person who recently started supporting me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Happy New Year, and I'll have the next episode out when I get to it.